You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. And so so let me pray for us again um, now that we've... uh, Now that we've... uh, You know what? I changed my mind. Let me not pray for us. Let you guys pray for us. Um, And so so at your tables, um, spend some time uh, just praying for each other. Ready? Pray to the right. Does that help if you have a little bit more direction? Pray for the person on your right. Um, Ready? I'll give you five minutes at the most, but maybe three. So ready, set, go. You know, Father, um, Lord, just just come before you and just ask God that you would that you would hear the prayers that we've offered up to you. Your word says that you hear all things, you see all things, you know all things, and therefore we can trust you to step in to the places of our lives where we struggle with sin and where we have yet to um, deny sin and where we have yet to murder sin, knowing that. That there is an active way in which we engage that, but there, there is also just, this is your work in our lives. I pray, God, that you would in, just give encouragement in the ways that you have planted new desires, new abilities, um, deep within each of us. Lord, I know that, that some of our tables probably didn't even get around, uh, all the way around the table and praying for one another. And I pray, God, that you would just um, take even the incompleteness, maybe, um, uh, of those moments for some of us and the incomplete feeling we have and remind us of how complete we are in you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So let me start, let me start again. Let me start where we started a little bit ago before you guys had the conversation at your table, just to get it back in front of us again. This statement, the cross of Christ is the center of the gospel message because the cross of Christ crushes our sinful desires and it it kills our sinful behavior. It also plants or implants brand new godly desires and abilities deep within our hearts, right? So we started with these three questions that you guys have been discussing now for the last few moments. What sinful desires do you need to deny as you follow Christ? What sinful behavior needs to be killed in you as you follow Christ? And what new desires or abilities do you see sprouting up because of God implanting His Spirit and the Gospel inside of you as you follow Him? Now look at Luke 23, verses 26-31. Luke 23, verses 26-31. Luke tells us this, And as they led Him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts 
that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us! And to the hills, cover us! For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So the first question that I would ask us to wrestle with and to think about is, is this, like what's happening in the text? What's happening in the text? It's the first question that we got to ask about any, any text or any passage that we arrive at. We need to ask, what's going down in this story? What's, what's happening in the story? What are the important details in the story that the author is wanting to get across to us? So the first question that we have a tendency to ask is, what does this mean to me? Or how do I feel about the text? What, what does the text say to me uniquely or individually? I, I, would, I would propose that that's the wrong wrong question to start with. We, we oftentimes have a tendency to look at the Bible as though it was all about me and how I interpret it and how I feel about it and what I think about it rather than starting with what did the original author mean and what was happening um, in the text as I look at it. So let's break it down a little. Number one, number one, when Simon carries Jesus' cross in verses 26 through 27, there's something happening here. But what's happening is we're being reminded of Luke chapter 9, as well as Luke chapter 14, where Jesus tells us that if we're, if we're truly, <coughs> if we're truly going to follow him, if we're really going to be Disciples, if we're really going to be Christians, if we're really going to be Christ followers, then we've got to pick up our crosses. Follow Him. And as we follow Him with our crosses, we, we follow Him in, in self-denying, sin-killing, sinner-saving mission. This is what we follow Jesus in. So the cross is no joke to Jesus. The cross isn't just a, a pendant that Jesus wears around his neck. For Jesus, the cross isn't a, a great tattoo that you get on your arm. For Jesus, the cross is an instrument of execution. It's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of salvation. The cross is the pinnacle of, of Christ's mission here on earth. It's the point of everything that he came for. It's the reason that he turned his eyes and set his face towards Jerusalem. cross is always what was in front of Christ. And Simon, in our passage, who is the father of Rufus and Alexander, according to the Gospel of Mark, 
Rufus and Alexander were early church fathers. It's an interesting connection for you fathers in the room. If you're a father, if you're a father, you know, look at Simon. If you have children and you're a parent, look at Simon carrying this cross. And realize that because Simon did not shirk his responsibility to carry his cross in front of his children, his two sons later grew up to be historical leaders in the church. This is a responsibility that drives home to all of us as parents, right? To carry our crosses in front of our children. Simon is described as the very first person, get this, described as the very first person to ever step out of the onlooking crowd that was just interested in that day's events. First person to step out of the crowd to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. First person. Pick up his cross and follow Jesus and leave the crowd behind. Follow Jesus. Jesus was bloody, was broken. He'd been beaten with a whip, had little shards of steel and possibly glass and marbles tied to it. This is what, this is what Jesus went through for you and I. And Jesus is in a place where he could barely carry this cross. And they grab Simon and they say, pick it up and carry it because we want to make sure that Jesus doesn't die before getting to that place of execution. This is Jesus with Simon carrying it behind him. Jesus has been shamed, bruised, rejected. He's almost dead. And Simon is following our dying Savior up that hill carrying his cross. This is the call to all of us who would call ourselves Christian. Number two, number two, when Jesus tells the crowd not to weep for him, but to weep for themselves instead, in verse 28, and we're reminded that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Think about when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he rounded that corner down the hill, down that mountain, as he came in in Luke 19. Jesus was weeping. Right? The passage says, Jesus wept. He was weeping because of the wickedness and the sinfulness of the people and the horrific judgment that was getting ready to fall upon them for failing to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. This is Jesus weeping as he comes in in Luke 19. And now, now as he goes out, there's weeping again. But it's weeping for the wrong reasons. Re weeping for the wrong reasons because, because people are weeping now for Him. Instead of weeping about the judgment that they will face that He's already warned them about. And get this in your mind too. Jesus' concern in these moments, think with me, Jesus' concern in these moments is not his own pain and discomfort. You and I whine, grumble, use other people. 
give in to our selfish tendencies and our idolatry in our deepest moments of pain. Jesus stands starkly, head and shoulders above, as our supreme Savior because He's more concerned for you in His moment of suffering than He is for Himself. And He says, don't, don't weep for me. Don't worry about me. Worry about you. I'm more concerned for you than I am myself in these moments. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd, right? Jesus' concern is for the hearts and the souls of, of everybody who would refuse to pick up their crosses and follow Him. Jesus' concern is that whoever rejects Him will face judgment. That's His concern. On number three, when Jesus says that the day is coming, when shame will be a blessing, in verse 29, when Jesus says that the day is coming, when shame will be a blessing, we're confronted we're confronted with the truth that the, the earthly things that cause us to feel shame in this life will be flipped upside down. Will be flipped upside down in the day of judgment. And listen, the pain, the pain of not having children now will be a blessing on that day. The pain of not having a spouse now will be flipped upside down on that day. The pain that you and I feel now will pale, pale in comparison. Won't even come close to the pain of watching your loved ones suffer on that day. I don't, unless I, I, I don't think that Jesus, I don't think that Jesus is being insensitive here. I don't think we should read what he's saying here um, as though he's beating the, 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 the crud out of somebody, right? I think Jesus is being really sensitive, actually, in these moments. I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is super sensitive to our suffering and our pain. Why? Because he suffered. He suffered loneliness on the cross here in a few weeks when we get to that text, on that cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? Why am I alone? In my deepest, darkest hour, Jesus knew suffering. He's not being insensitive. I think he's being sensitive, actually, to the suffering that's coming. This passage reveals Jesus' greater compassion and concern for those of us, listen, for those of us who have put these desires for either parenthood or marriage, or listen, any other good thing. Jesus' concern is for you. If you've taken good desires and subverted them and made them primary to carrying your cross. That's his concern. His concern is when you have allowed your desires to control your life rather than the cross of Christ being the one and only thing you have your eye set upon. That's his concern. Because if you refuse to carry the cross of Christ in your pursuit of even good things, then 
you face judgment. And the pain of judgment will be far more painful than the pain that you face now. And number four, when Jesus says that the day is coming when you will beg for destruction, verse 30, he says the day is coming when you'll beg for destruction. We're, we're confronted with a picture of complete life altering despair. You and I think that our despair in this life right now is hard. The despair that you and I would face on the day of judgment, if we in fact face that, right? If, if you are not a cross-carrying Christian, which would be to say you are not a Christian, then the judgment you would face would be far worse than what you'll cry out for is is destruction. It's not, it's not a picture of people. Listen, so this is not a picture in this passage of people in despair because they don't get what they want. It's actually a people in this passage are in despair because they are getting what they always wanted. The desires that drove them. They've chased those desires so far. That they've gotten what they wanted. And the things of this life that they've gotten have caused them to be in a place where they are not a cross-carrying Christian and therefore not a Christian. Gotten what they always wanted. What they actually wanted was something other than Christ. What they always wanted was something other than His cross because to carry His cross was too hard for them. And on that day, they will beg for destruction. It's a picture of people who have continuously rejected Christ. It's a picture of people who have continuously rejected His cross. It's a picture of people who are now facing the consequences of following the sinful impulses and the desires of their bellies that lead to destruction. And their experience on this day of judgment is so horrifying that they are begging to be completely destroyed, begging to be put out of their misery, begging for the mountains to fall on them. Mountains, come and fall on us and put us out of our misery. We can't handle this. It's horrifying. It's worse than I ever thought it could be. Begging for the, for the hills to cover them, to hide them from the pain of that day. That's how bad that day will be. Begging to be destroyed. This is Jesus' concern for all who would refuse the cross of Christ. This is Jesus' concern for all who would stay in the crowd. This is Jesus' concern for all who would play around with the idea of being Christian. Number five, or five, when Jesus says that this horror is nothing compared to what's coming in verse 31. This horror is nothing compared to what's coming. We're again confronted with this truth. The truth that if God, listen, if God would send His Son... He would send His Son, Jesus, His one and only Son, Jesus, to endure the torture and the horror 
of the cross on our behalf. If God the Father was willing to let His one and only Son endure that torture and that horror, what do you think God the Father in His wrath and His hatred and His anger will do to the ones who have lived as enemies of His one and only Son? We don't like that picture, do we? That's a scary picture. This is the picture that Jesus paints. Simon followed Jesus with a cross over his shoulders. And the horror of the cross when Jesus, listen, when Jesus, the green sapling, when he's walking this earth, if that was horrific, and these women and this crowd were crying in anguish over it? That's nothing compared to the horror of God's judgment upon the dried up hearts of His enemies. And the question that we got to ask is, are you carrying a cross? Are you carrying a cross towards heaven? Or are you a pile of dried up wood waiting to be consumed by the fires of God's wrath. Serious. A serious message. The difficulty of studying the Bible uh, for all of us is this. So we can often give into the temptation of just cramming more knowledge into our brains so that we can appear to be in the know or wise or worth following. But knowledge that speaks to the head uh, without affecting the heart's desires and the actions of our hands is useless. So if that's all you're after today, I can tell you your pursuit is worthless. And if that's all I preach to you today is a bunch of knowledge that just makes you think more, or expand your knowledge of God, this sermon is useless. So how, how, do, we, how do we even approach this passage or, or a sermon like this you know, in a way um, where it could be of any help to us? How does this passage speak helpfully to the hearts of single parents? How, how does this passage speak helpfully to the heart of a single person? How does this passage speak to the heart of married people or poor people or wealthy people or addicted people or angry people or depressed people or distracted people or even disinterested people? How does this passage come as any help to the, the hearts and the lives of people who would hear it? I don't know, <laughs> to be really honest with you. I'm, I find it much easier to just stand in front of you and say, look at how much stuff I know about this text and let me ooh and all you with my big words and let me spit and sputter and get loud and talk for too long and try to hold your attention and keep you from falling asleep. I find that much easier. Reading a book recently called The Reformed Pastor by a Puritan guy. I realize Puritans are not 
God. They're not perfect. They had their issues. Reading this book called The Reformed Pastor, one of the statements in my summary that he says in this book, the thing that I love about the Reformer or the, or the, the Puritans is that they are very straight in what they say. They don't pull their punches and they don't aim for the head, they aim for the heart and everything they say. Baxter in this book called The Reformed Pastor, he says, hey, listen, if the truth that I'm laying down in front of you right now offends you more than the sin that's living inside of you that I'm confronting, you got deeper issues. So if the truth that uh, is getting laid down in front of us today is more offensive to you than the sin that is alive and lurking around the corner, if that's more offensive to you than that sin, you've got deeper issues. The truth of this passage that I do know is this. The meaning of this passage, the message of this passage, is it's simple but it's hard. Okay? It's simple but it's hard. It's not, it's not complex. It's harsh. It's not complex, but it is harsh. It's the message that I think Luke wants to get across to us in this passage can be summarized this way. It's not in your notes, so you may write it down. It's totally up to you, depending upon how the Holy Spirit leads you in this. Because if I'm wrong, then the Holy Spirit will speak the truth to you. Okay? But I think the summary of this passage is this. Pick up your cross or face the horror of God's judgment. Pick up your cross or face the horror of God's judgment. That's harsh. It's hard. It's the truth. Pick up your cross or face the horror of God's judgment and what Jesus wants is for you not to face that. No more standing on the sidelines watching Jesus carry His cross in front of you while you get kicks out of it. Get behind Jesus and pick up your cross as He's instructed you to do and carry it. Walk with it. Quit putting it down. If you refuse to pick up your cross, then you better start weeping for yourself. If you refuse to carry your cross, you better start weeping for yourself. It's easy to come to church and cry during a worship song because it moves us. Cry when the pastor cries because he's moved. Catch a glimpse of Jesus and cry because we're stuck to the heart. But the reality is that what we need to be struck to the heart with is the depth and the depravity of our idolatry and our sin. If you refuse to pick up your cross or start crying for yourself because judgment is coming around the corner and it won't be a day where you'll be crying for others. It won't be a day where you're concerned for others. It won't be a day when you're crying about Jesus' pain. It'll be a day when you're crying in agony for yourself because of the horror of that day. If you don't want to hear the truth now, you will not want to hear it then. But you'll be faced with the judgment that comes on the back end of it. If the truth hasn't set you free now, it doesn't set you free before that day. On that day, you'll face judgment. But Jesus doesn't want that. It's why He came. In the midst of this picture, let me point that out to you. This is God loving you. This is God loving you and I. It's loving us through this message. Loving us through this passage. He's putting us before Himself. He's not doing what we do. 
which is to put ourselves before others and then try to twist it all around and make it look like we somehow actually put them before us when in reality we put ourselves before everybody else because ourselves is the biggest idolatry and idol that we face, right? Self-worship. Cover that. Hide from that. Run from that. Pretend about that. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Jesus put himself second. And he puts you first. God is loving us through this passage, is loving us through this message. But how do we drill this message? How do we drill it down? Some of you may be thinking, but I feel like I'm drilled already. <laughs> I'm not willing to let up here. How do we drill it down even deeper? I think the cross of Christ is the center of the gospel message, right? The gospel message at the center of the Bible. Therefore, if we are to use this message like a drill in the hand of a dentist, doesn't that just make you all cringe? Who's ever been to the dentist and had a cavity drilled out of their mouth? Oh, it makes you shudder, doesn't it? Please think about God's word. Think about this message. Think about the cross of Christ being like that drill that drills down into the cavity of a tooth to clean out that cavity. And if we see the cross like that drill in the hand of a loving father who wants to root out the sickness that is deep down inside of your heart and repair the gaping wound at the same time, how do we do that? Let me take a stab at it for a minute. It's a few kind of pastoral thoughts or instructions regarding what I think it means to let the cross actually drill down. Not just to walk away from here and go, wow, great message, pastor, good stuff in my brain. I can talk about theological implications all day long. Great, good for you and good for me. How do we drill past that and get to the root of the issue inside of us? Let me just confess first that there's nothing that I think that I can say up here that will actually do this job well. I really just, I'm so inadequate when it comes to this. And the reason why is because I'm so afraid of you. I'm so afraid of all of you that it's not even funny. I do a good job covering it. I do a good job pretending most of the time. I'm so afraid that some will stop being my friends. I'm so, I'm so afraid that, that some will just shipwreck their faith. I'm so afraid that all the labor and the work and the tears and the sweat, all the investment, that someday would, would be meaningless and worthless, that I'll be found out to be a failure and a fake. I'm so afraid of that deep down inside because I see myself in ways that God doesn't see me, that to go here is so hard for me. Not that I want to draw attention to myself. I just want to be confessionary in front of you and let you know that my knee-jerk reaction is to pray right now and be done. Okay? But listen to this. Number one, the cross of Christ drills self-centeredness out of our hearts. See, self-centeredness causes single parents. If you're a single parent in the room, listen. Self-centeredness causes single parents to fall into despair because they have no one to help them. And then you live there, and your wheels spin, and it's all you can do is think about yourself. It causes single people to use other people quench their lonely thirst. If you're here and you're single and you've always desired to be with somebody and God hasn't given that to you yet 
And you keep finding yourself in relationships where you're using people over and over and over again to quench that thirst of loneliness. Self-centeredness is the issue, and the cross of Christ will drill that out if you let it. You're a married person in the room. You're a married person in the room. Self-centeredness, if it's alive in you, it'll cause you to treat your spouse like a slave or a business partner to be used or ignored. So for you single folks, you think your struggle sucks. It does, I get it. But you know what? For married people, it sucks too. Because we're all self-centered. And that's the fight. Is the cross of Christ rooting out the self-centeredness deep within us. So if you're married, you see your spouse as your slave, or somebody to just be ignored because they're like your business partner, you can be certain that the idolatry in the root deep down inside is self-centeredness. For the addict, it'll cause you to jab a vein, snort a line, roll another joint to medicate the pain of the person that you see in the mirror. Poor person, wealthy person, doesn't matter. In this room, if you are poor or wealthy, either way, if you are self-centered, it will cause you to be consumed with the pursuit of more money and more things. It'll cause you to pursue impulsive buying rather than managing your wealth wisely. And rather than being generous, you'll hoard it all to yourself. If you're self-centered and you're a parent, if you're self-centered and you're a parent, your self-centeredness will cause you to be passive in, dis in discipling or disciplining your children. You'll be passive in that because you're too afraid of your kids rejecting you, hating you, rejecting the truth you try to lay down for them. Or you'll feel inadequate as you try to discipline your children. And you're afraid of that. And so you'll be passive because all you can think about is yourself and how you will feel. Number two, actually, summarize that. The cross of Christ drills out this sickness of self-centeredness in your heart. And then number two, the cross of Christ drills godly desires and abilities into your heart. Sorry, the cross of Christ drills Christ-centeredness into our heart. The cross of Christ drills Christ-centeredness into our hearts. Christ-centeredness. Christ-centeredness is the healing substance that fills the gaping hole inside of you. It's the healing substance that fills the gaping hole that's left behind from self-centeredness. When self-centeredness gets extracted, there's a hole. And you either go right back to filling it up with yourself, or you fill it up with Christ. The drill of the cross as you carry it will refill that gaping hole with Christ-centeredness. The single person then in this room, if you're single, you need to pursue. You must pursue relationships that exalt Christ. Not relationships that exalt you and your needs being met. You have got to pursue relationships that exalt Christ above all other things. If they don't, cut it off. A married person, if you're a married person, you need to serve your spouse sacrificially. Serve your spouse, serve your spouse sacrificially. Listen, listen, regardless of the payoff. That's the issue in marriage. Oh, I'll do the dishes if, if I get X, Y. 
I'll clean my house for my spouse if X, Y happens. Oh, we would never want to admit that, right? We hide these things. The cross of Christ exposes these things. The recovering addict needs to resist addictive urges through the help of unconditionally loving relationships, accountable community, and relentless truth. Loving relationships, a community that holds you accountable, and the relentless pursuit of the truth. Poor people, wealthy people in the room need to faithfully manage your wealth. I don't care what end of the spectrum you're on, God's word speaks to us on both ends of that spectrum as though we are to faithfully manage that wealth that we've been given because we are stewards and God's given it to us, right? And we are to learn to be generous instead of spending it all on our own selfish desires and pursuits and collections. <clears throat> Parents, if you're a parent here, you're hearing this, you're rooting out self-centeredness, trying to drill in Christ-centeredness, and we need to begin teaching and training and disciplining our children to love God and love people and quit living as enemies of Christ. So the cross of Christ drills Christ-centeredness into our hearts. Number three, as we begin to bring this to an end, number three, the cross of Christ drills godly desires and abilities into our hearts. The cross of Christ drills godly desires and abilities deep into our hearts. So godly desires and abilities replace the sinful desires and abilities that are buried deep within the contours of our hearts, right? So the desire to use others is now replaced with the desire and ability to serve others rather than use others. The desire to run in fear and to, to hide and be passive and pretend and not talk about that thing that makes us really uncomfortable, right? Just ignore that. Just, we'll just pretend like that didn't happen. That desire that causes you to do that is now replaced with the desire and the ability to be what? Courageous. It's courageous. When you and I run like little cowards from the things that we should be doing and the conversations that we should be having, and again, I already told you, I have this fear deep down inside of me is this little shriveled up, cowardly little being in my soul who's afraid of losing everyone, everything around me, right? And when I become that person, I live out of that sin. When God comes in and drills himself into my heart and my life, I can live courageously. Talking about, speaking about, speaking to, confronting. Be courageous. And the desire to control everything or everyone then gets replaced with the desire and the ability to submit and surrender to God and others in humility. And the desire to have more stuff is replaced with the desire and the ability to be more faithful in managing your wealth and more generous with the things that God has given you because they don't belong to you anyways, right? The desire to protect yourself from pain is then replaced with the desire and the ability to give yourself away unselfishly rather than hiding out in your little man-made cocoon. The cross of Christ drills godly desires and abilities into our hearts. In conclusion, I want to say this. This passage calls us to pick up our crosses and follow Christ, or face the horrors of judgment. We're called to be like Jesus, 
by remembering that when Christ gave himself for us at the cross, as he trudged up that hill, beaten and bloody and bruised and rejected and suffering and in pain and near death, with Simon carrying that cross, following him up that hill, in the midst of the weeping and the wailing of the crowd, Jesus was loving enough to stop, to turn around, and to make eye contact with you, and to give you a final warning. A final warning regarding the horrific judgment that is coming upon everyone who refuses to pick up their cross and follow Him. So let me end with a statement as well as the questions that we asked at the beginning of our time together today. <clears throat> the cross of Christ is the center of the gospel message because the cross of Christ crushes our sinful desires, kills our sinful behavior, and plants new godly desires and abilities deep within our hearts. The question for you and I to continue chewing on as we leave is this. What sinful desires do you need to deny as you follow Him? What sinful behavior needs to be killed as you follow Him? And what new desires or abilities do you see sprouting up in your heart as you follow Christ? Either pick up your cross and follow Christ, or you face destruction. Let's pray. Father, Father, as we close our time together today and come before you again in prayer, we recognize that we've already been in your presence as we've opened your word. Lord God, I just ask that you would bring the truth of this message and this passage and this picture of Jesus walking up that hill with this wailing and weeping crowd around him, with Simon following and carrying that cross, and the, the concern that you have that no one would perish, that no one would face judgment, that no one would ever be separated from you, this concern that you have, God, I pray that you would bring that home to both Christian and non-Christian alike. God, that you would encourage the Christian to continue to persevere in carrying the cross. To have the courage to cut off that which is killing us deep inside. Trust in you. For the person with us who are hearing this message or the people that are with us that have not yet trusted in you, even some who think they have but haven't yet, Others who are more honest and know. Lord, I pray you would use this as a moment to awaken their hearts, Lord God. I pray that you would awaken those hearts, that you would implant a new heart within them that delights in you and desires you and knows that you have delighted in them. You have found joy in them so much so that you would give your son. God, I pray that you would do that work in us as we come before you. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen. As we close our time together, we're going to partake in communion. Communion is that time where we celebrate Christ's body and blood broken, poured out for us at the cross because he didn't want you and I to face judgment. Did that mercifully, graciously for you and I. So if you're here and you're a believer, this is a time to celebrate together. And you're, if you're not a believer, um, this is a time where you could surrender your life to the Lord. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. Um, and then you could take communion with the family for the first time. And that would be awesome. Um, if any of you have prayers uh, that you need prayed for you as you come up to get communion, those of us that are serving communion would like to pray with you before you take communion. So if that's you, just let us know, okay? It's okay. You can stand here for a minute while we pray for you. Um, it might make this end a little bit longer, but I think it's important to pray for each other. And so if you have prayer needs, um, feel free to ask us as we serve you communion. We'll pray with you before you take it. Um, so it's been great being with you guys. Thank you for letting me preach. It's a privilege for me. Love you guys a bunch. Let's close. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.